This is the Bible Book Club. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And we're in the book of First Samuel. Welcome to the club. In chapter 16, Samuel went to Bethlehem in search of a new king. He wasn't what Samuel expected. David was just a boy, the youngest son of Jesse. But David had something that Saul didn't, a heart for the Lord. David was invited to play for King Saul to soothe his evil spirit. So David then found favor with Saul and became a fixture at the court, playing his harp every day. Meanwhile, the Philistines were gathering forces. They brought a new threat with them, one that terrified Saul, a giant named Goliath. So when we left Saul and David, Saul was suffering mentally from an evil spirit. David was summoned to soothe Saul's nerves on the recommendation of a servant who said he played the lyre well and the Lord was with him. Well, it worked. The music was soothing to Saul and Saul liked David and made him an armor bearer. So he's kind of part-time living there. All right, in scene one of today's episode, Goliath defies God for 40 days and 40 nights. Continuing in chapter 17, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephath of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. David's father is old, as we would expect. He has raised eight sons, and the youngest David is approaching 20. The three oldest sons are all serving their country in Saul's army. Now, David is apparently still needed at home and goes back and forth between his father, brothers, and the king, tending the sheep delivering supplies to his brothers, and playing for the king. In other words, David meets the needs of the day as best he can for whomever needs him the most. David's tasks are mostly menial, but he doesn't seem to mind. He obeys, but he does not do so mindlessly. As Saul seemed to do on his hunt for his father's donkeys, David is different. He is much more aware and curious. And as he scurries back and forth, he does not fail to take in the situations around him. David is not going to miss an opportunity. He has a lot on his plate right now, but he knows he can do more. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David's father sends him on another courier, Aaron, to take provisions to his brothers and check in on them. But before going, 
David responsibly hands the sheep off to another shepherd. David has developed skills in these random jobs. He's learned to anticipate needs and find solutions. He anticipates the needs of the sheep and keeps them healthy and safe. He anticipates the needs of his brothers and father and provides for them. And he anticipates the needs of the king and brings him comfort. David is always on the lookout for what could go wrong and what he can do about it. And all that experience has given him confidence, even though his tasks were so menial. He can make a difference with God. Now, when David arrives at the battlefield, there is a commotion. Very responsibly, though, still, he delivers his supplies to the supply keeper. And then, obedient to every point, he asks his brothers how they are doing, just as his father requested. Just then, Goliath steps out and everyone on the front line starts to run. Accustomed to seeing needs and meeting them, David is curious. And David is zealous, overeager, and even annoying. His wheels start turning as he absorbs the men's chatter around him. And the question starts spilling from his mouth. Verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In this short interchange, there is a critical difference in the perception between the men and the perception that David has. The Israelites say with resignation, do you see how this man keeps coming out to defy Israel? And David says with indignation, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the army of God? The Israelites' perception is that Goliath is a man defying men. The Israelites are resigned to fail because Goliath is bigger. Remember that the Israelites are obsessed with height. Height was what they wanted in a king, and height is what they got with Saul. He was a head taller than any of the other Israelites, but now they have an enemy that dwarfs their tall king. David's perception, however, is that Goliath is an enemy of God defying God. David is indignant because his God is bigger than any man. In David's eyes, this battle will take place on another plane. It is the Lord's fight and he will deliver Israel. The point is that because David has a heart for the Lord, his perception is altered. He sees through the eyes of faith, and his faith has taught him that he has a very big God. Goliath is nothing to God. Continuing in verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Eliab, the oldest of the eight brothers, had to be at least 10 to 15 years older than David. He is a man seasoned by years of war and death. He had probably already fought many battles against these Philistines. The present situation is dire, and Eliab is justifiably tense. 
This is a one-man battle, and the odds are against the Israelites. The last thing Eliab needs now is his chatty little brother distracting his men with 50,000 questions. So he snaps. Assuming the worst, he berates the young David, who in Eliab's eyes is just a boy shirking his duties to catch a little entertainment at the expense of Israel's sorry military. We cannot blame Eliab. It's hard to see your little brother as anointed by God when he still looks like a kid to you. And as God said in the last episode, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Eliab cannot see David's heart. He can only see the face of his baby brother. Well, David is indignant, but not mad. Like any little brother, he ignores Eliab, his older brother, and pursues what his curious heart wants to know. How can he solve this Goliath problem? Meanwhile, Saul, desperate for someone, anyone, to take his place against Goliath, hears about David's words. Scene two, Saul dodges his responsibility as king. Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David is an example of a good shepherd, in contrast to Saul who is not. Remember when we met Saul, he was chasing lost donkeys, implying that he was a careless shepherd. He had lost his donkeys. When we first met David, he had to be called in to meet Samuel because he was out shepherding sheep. From this speech of David's to Saul, we learn what a fearless, attentive shepherd he was in comparison to Saul. He defeated the lion and the bear to save his sheep. And David humbly gave all the credit of his success against lions and bears to God. We will find in 2 Samuel that in God's eyes, David's job description never changed. He will always be a shepherd of a flock, whether sheep or people. The picture of a shepherd leader looms large over the entire Bible. In Ezekiel 34, 11, God said this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. The ultimate good shepherd we learn from John 10, 14 is Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Notice that both Ezekiel and John allude to sheep from other nations or sheep from other pens. That would be us. 
the Gentiles who were grafted into the kingdom with the promise of salvation through Christ, the ultimate good shepherd. He is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And there is nothing more comforting than to know that he will look after us, rescue us, tend us, feed us, and search for us when we are lost. David was a good shepherd. One of the first examples, Moses too was a shepherd, but David risked his life against the lion and the bear to save his sheep. Now, back to Saul, the not so good shepherd who is unwilling to lay down his life for his sheep by going against Goliath. However, he is very willing to give up his armor. Now back to our story in 1 Samuel 17, continuing in verse 37. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Saul as king should have been the one to meet Goliath's challenge, but he lacked the faith to do so and instead tried dressing David, the smaller, younger, militarily inexperienced teenage boy in his own armor. David was not having it. Armor was unnecessary. God would protect him. He would fight Goliath as he had fought the lion armed with the spirit of the Lord. Scene three, David defends God. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Okay, the five stones. I did go down a rabbit hole on this one. Why five? There are lots of theories about the five stones with memorable symbolism baked in, but there was only one that I could find with any biblical backing. We know from chapter 17, verse 4, that Goliath was from Gath. We also know from 2 Samuel 21, starting in verse 15, that Goliath had four brothers, all fierce Philistine warriors. We're going to get to those in 2 Samuel. The thought is that the five brothers were renowned for their military prowess. So David probably had heard of them. We also know from Bible Book Club Season 4 in the Book of Numbers, Chapter 35, that God had given Israel laws for how to handle murder. There were no police back then, attorneys and prisons, um, to catch and convict a murderer. So if a family member was killed, another member of the family would become the blood avenger and be responsible for pursuing the killer and putting him to death. Now, for a deeper understanding of the rules and protection of the accused, listen to season four, episode 18 of Bible Book Club. The thought is in this theory that David was preparing himself for the need to fight Goliath's brothers if they were present and should choose to avenge Goliath's death. Apparently, it was very well known at that time that the five Philistine cities that we've talked about in past episodes were so named because of the five brothers that were all, and we're going to get to one of them. One of them is six fingers. We're going to get to him in another chapter, but they were all these kind of 
you know, fearsome warriors and they, and they were brothers. So David was thinking he had heard about them all. Well, if they're here, I saw Goliath. Well, if the others are here and I kill Goliath, which I know I'm going to because God is with me, the others may come at me and I just need to be prepared. You know, and that was the good thing about David. He always anticipated what, what more can I do? I mean, that's how he killed the lion and the bear. He was just like, I'm going to be prepared for whatever, you know, the enemy brings. I'm going to. I'm going to get it. So he knew he was going to kill Goliath with the stone. And then he thought he might need the other four to kill the other brothers. Right. Got it. The bottom line is that David trusted that God was going to give him victory over Goliath. But he had also done his homework and was prepared for anyone else to attack. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Goliath was stoned. It was a remarkable death for one who was nine feet tall, see verse four, wore a bronze helmet, which protected his head, a coat of scale armor and greaves they're called on his legs, see verse five. Remarkable for one who had a shield bearer in front of him, see verse seven and 41, and carried a sword, a spear and a javelin, see verse 45. This giant was armed. Most remarkable was that Goliath's death was executed by a teenage boy without any military experience, without any protection on his body, without any military weapons. David killed Goliath with faith and with the word of God, because David most likely knew something that most Israelites should have known. The book of law given to Israel through Moses decreed in Leviticus 24, 16, that anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native born. When they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. And yet every time Goliath came out, everybody fleed. The entire Israelite army did not do anything. Goliath challenged Israel to choose a champion to fight him in a winner takes all contest, blaspheming the God of Israel in the process. And yet none of them did anything. According to the law, the Israelite army should have stoned Goliath to death, but they were too afraid. The Israelites vision was clouded with fear. But David had his eye on the Lord, and in his mind, the picture was crystal clear. 
Goliath was blaspheming the name of the Lord, and he must be stoned. It was the law, and God would help him do it. The point is that when we know the truth of God's word and act on it, we can be assured that God will bring about his purposes. We must believe as David did. The author of Psalm 33 is unknown, although many believe it to be David. And listen, because you can hear his remarkable faith in these words, starting in verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep Keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Can't you just hear the young David thinking these thoughts in his head? The Lord foils the plans of the nations. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The Lord forms the heart of all. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his own strength. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. God delivers them from death. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. David believed that God would foil the plans of the Philistines. David believed that God had a forever plan for Israel. David had a heart that had been formed by faith in the Lord. David believed that the Philistine king could not escape God. David believed that Goliath would be defeated. David believed that God saw him. David believed that God would protect his life. David believed that God was his help and physical shield, even though he had none. And David trusted in the Lord's holy name. Do you? Scene four, David steps into the spotlight. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sha'arim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. So it's kind of comical, actually, that David did not even own a sword and had to finish the job of killing Goliath with his own sword. The victory was huge, and the Israelites pursued the Philistines all the way to two of their five capital cities. And you can imagine the name that was whispered in fear on their lips as they scrambled through the gates to the safety of their Philistine cities. David, a boy named David, killed Goliath. Surely the God of the Israelites is with him. 
The same name would have been shouted from town to town throughout Israel. David, the son of Jesse, killed Goliath. Surely our God is with him. Meanwhile, David took Goliath's head, a common victory trophy in ancient days, and brought it to Jerusalem. Now, I did read this, can't verify it. But, of course, he didn't go to Jerusalem at that time because they were not controlling Jerusalem. This would have been a later move for David as king. Uh, But they do think that's how maybe Golgotha got the name The skull, that's what Golgotha means, is because David brought the skull of Goliath to Jerusalem. Interesting. Yeah. Continuing on in verse 55, as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. So this sounds like a crazy conversation because of course Saul knows who David is, but because he's been playing the harp for him for all these years. Exactly. But what Saul asked is, and that he didn't know is whose son David was. And he needed to know because he had promised in verse 25 that the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So Saul needed to know more about David's family, whose son he was, for two reasons. David was about to become his son-in-law. He had promised that this guy would be part of his family and marry his daughter. But also, David's father was about to receive a tax exemption for life. Saul had promised that whoever killed Goliath, his family would be exempt from taxes. So he's putting it down in the record. David is Jesse's son, and therefore Jesse is exempt from taxes. Well, it seems as if all is well in the kingdom of Israel. Saul dodged the fearful fight with Goliath. David defended God. God defeated Goliath. Goliath is dead. This bliss will only last a few verses before Saul's satisfaction with David turns green in our next episode. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.